Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Today, you get to hear a conversation with what I would call one of our dream guests, Mr. Bob Bodine. This is a man who works behind the scenes as an executive recruiter in both college and professional sports. Sports Illustrated actually named him the most influential man in sports you've never heard of, and there's a reason for that. Oh my gosh, you guys. This conversation, we left thinking, now that is what a world-class person looks like. Yes. I mean, he's a big deal. Very big deal. He's friends with George W. Bush, Arnold Palmer, Dave Ramsey, Max Lucado, Chip and Joanna Gaines, and on, and on, and on, Kevin. Yes, but here's the crazy thing to me, Steph, is we were hoping for 30 minutes with Bob, but apparently he blocked off his entire calendar for the rest of the afternoon. Oh my gosh, he's so nice. It was so kind. So we actually talked to him, folks, for over two hours, with most of that being what I would call as off the record. So what you're about to hear is the stuff we are allowed to share Can't wait for you to hear this incredible conversation with Mr. Bob Bodine. I'm Kevin. And I'm Stephanie. And during our marriage, we have dealt with an electrocution, a brain tumor, brain surgery. Then doctors telling us that children were not in our future, followed by miscarriage, and then Kevin's cancer diagnosis. However, today, we live a life completely healed and restored with three healthy children who doctors said were not possible. And we're here to tell stories that inspire, give hope, and brighten your day. Welcome to Tell Us a Good Story. This episode is being presented to you by Luby Companies, a custom home builder here in central Ohio. Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome. I have been uber excited. Oh, we're so excited about this next one. This is going to be phenomenal. This is huge, you guys. Like when you guys hear his bio, this man is amazing. Our next guest is president and CEO of Eastman and Bodine, which was named by the Wall Street Journal as the top recruiting firm in college sports. Sports Illustrated named him to the top front office matchmaker in all of sports, as well as the most influential man in sports you've never heard of. And after looking at his Instagram account, this man might have the most beautiful family I have ever seen. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Tell Us a Good Story, Mr. Bob Bodine. Welcome, Bob. Man, I was really glad to be with you both. I, I'm, you know, I've heard so many great things about you, and and seeing the energy that the two of you have is just like juicing me, even as we speak. <laughs> I love it. Oh well, thank you. So the first thing, looking at your social media accounts, your family just looks amazing. So he's got three daughters, adult daughters. How many grandkids now? Four. Four. Can you share the story? of the game that you've played with your kids, and now probably grandkids, where if you're out in public, it's called Penny Nickel Dime, I believe. Can you share that story with Steph? Everybody should play this game with their kids. So one of the great things my dad would always do when we would get together for dinner is pull out a bunch of Penny Nickel Dimes and on the table, and then he would ask questions, and they would come in, in one of like four or five categories. It would have current events, sports, great actors and actresses and TV, okay, something on a TV show. It would have family, your family history, and he'd add presidents, okay? And then he would always be the person who asked the question. And you could answer the question and pick one based on, I want the easiest, any question. I want a nickel or a dime. And of course, if it's dime, you're going to have to name like five presidents' wives or something, you know? And uh, <laughs> and so it's, very, it's not going to be easy. 
And so we would go through it. And one of the things that we found that was so fantastic was that there's history of your family you have no idea about. You didn't know your grandfather, what he really did. You didn't know a history of one of my dad's brothers, my mom, all of a sudden had a whole lot of history. And so we would sit and ask questions and go around and do this. And then people would come up to us afterwards and they'd always compliment my mom and dad. Oh my gosh, I couldn't believe your kids were just quiet. They were waiting. Yeah, we wanted to get the penny, nickel or the dime. I mean, we were, that's how competitive we were. I needed to be my brother and my sister. Later, when we play at like Mexican restaurants, we would move it on so that we played the chip game. So you couldn't get the queso and the chip unless you answered the question right. Oh. And so we'd go around the table. I love Bob, that. that would be good because by that time I'm getting chip and queso. I'm hangry <laughs> as it is. So if my husband is not letting me answer a question. I'm like, sorry. It would not. Sorry, you missed what my dad used to do for a living, honey. I'm sorry. Oh, that would not be good, Bob. <laughs> Yeah, we would do occasionally, he would all of a sudden look at one of my brothers, he'd say a dime. And so he says, okay, put your hands and move up close to the table. We'd move up. And then he says, what color shoes is your mom wearing? Oh, okay. That immediately bypassed to the next person. (laughs) (laughs) Pass. That's so good. That's a really good game, isn't it? I love that game. So with you, sir, as an executive recruiter, how does this work? And I'm, I'm going to make up a scenario and you share with Steph and I how this actually works. So we're in Columbus, Ohio. So let's say Michigan fires their head coach, Jim Harbaugh in football. The AD would go to you and say, hey, can you give me a list of candidates who might be interested in this particular job? Here's the kind of candidate we need. And then you work behind the scenes to find the right person for that role. Is that how this works with what you do? So in this area, I knowing that presidents are hired really by committees and search firms, they would rather have a process that they could see the four or five best candidates. But what we'll do is then they hire me exclusively. I go out and look at the top 20 type people who could potentially even get on my list. And these are people who could recruit the area, who walk in the room and you just like go, oh my gosh, this has got energy beyond. You can tell who wins an interview. If I brought five of the best people, you two are on my committee and I brought the five best coaches, you still know who the best person is in the first five minutes. It's unbelievable. There's kind of this destiny that's around them. And there's a cut difference for people, you know, like Jim and why he's so successful today, because, you know, he's just cut out that whole piece of marble and then it becomes a, all of a sudden a gem. So you're kind of like a matchmaker, but with sports. <laughs> That's true. Right? 100%. I mean, nothing was better than when I put in Scott Drew at Baylor after a murder at the Baylor you know, team in 2003. And then 18 years later, this last year, he won the national championship. And so, you know, pretty exciting to see how someone can progress. But the first day that we met, he was at Valparaiso. And you would know the first moment you met Scott Drew, you would know today why he's a national championship coach. Wow. Hey, Bob, can you share the story about the first game you went to at Baylor when Scott Drew had just become the head coach? They're playing Texas, and I think they were losing by like 46 points or something. Can you share that story? So I was really trying to see a game, and I, I arrive into game like game number five, and they're playing Texas. And of course, Scott's, he's recruiting kids like from intramurals to come over. You know, it's just, uh, it's hard. You know, if they're tall, if they're tall and they got some meat on them, 
He's saying, hey, listen, I'm thinking you're a Baylor bear. And, and so he's talking to people all overseas and he's doing all this stuff to recruit people to come in. It's not as easy today where you could go to the portal and you could take somebody uh, right. from another school and all that you could tell your team. But I go to the game and they're getting spanked. I mean, it's just, it is just not good. But Scott, you'd never know it based on his face or his coaches. They create a culture of joy. They're constantly spending time encouraging, lifting. If they see something good, then they're making a comment to someone about how they did it. And of course, they're playing someone so much better than them because they got all these recruited superstar McDonald All-Americans that are on the team. And so it's like all of a sudden the two-minute warning, boom, got calls timeout near the end of the game. And down by 46 points. And I'm thinking, great, what's what the heck is he going to say? And he brings the team over and he goes, okay. This is a new game. If we can win the last two minutes, we have no practice tomorrow. We are going to have a party. We are going to celebrate. We're going to change the way we think about it. But this is the new game. And when we go out this last two minutes, we're diving for balls. We're going to start guarding people harder than we ever have. And we're going to put the full court press on everything we do. And they're going to feel it. But I want you to look right now at at me and say you're all in. And so they all come together like, hey, we're going to win the last two minutes. Now, the other team's just coming out with their second and third players, right? And they're just kind of like enjoying it. I mean, the other team, they're sitting on the side. They're already past this. They're right. thinking getting on the bus or something to head home or get a, you know, get to the airport and, and charter home. And so, boom, they all of a sudden, you could feel it the moment they started to do it because all of a sudden they're like pressing and doing everything. And it's like this and boom, and they're going back and forth. And even still their second or third team is better than really Baylor's. And so it's still tight, 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 tight. It's game basket, 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 until we get to the last second. Baylor jumps up and, and all of a sudden Swish wins by two and they go crazy. They're jumping, everyone's doing everything. Uh, the, the crowd, first off, there was more Texas people there than there were, you know, Baylor people at, at the Baylor arena at the time. And, you know, Baylor people were coming back in and cheering and they couldn't believe it. They didn't know what it is. And the Texas players were just in line, ready to shake hands. Like, I don't know what you're doing. You lost by 44. <laughs> but you know what? Every changed in one two minute segment. One of the things that I found afterwards is that that was the starting point for his team. They never did things the same after that. So would you say that was your biggest recruit you ever had? You know, people look at me and they, as you said earlier, when you're kind of looking, how the heck did you marry Cheryl? I mean, holy cow. I said, I'm a good recruiter. (laughs) It's very important. So I've placed some fantastic people in jobs that, that have done things that are ridiculous. But I would tell you that Scott Drew's from a different planet. I mean, if I had Scott Drew on this show, you'd know it in seconds. He makes time. Okay, where other people have no time. Kevin, do you like to help your friends out? It depends. If our friends are asking me to help them move, then no, I absolutely do not (laughs) like to help my friends out. (laughs) But what if your friend had a weekly radio show and podcast? 
and just wanted you to tell someone about it. Yes, I could totally do that. That is much easier than me trying to carry a piano down into a basement, which has happened to me in the past, and you know who you are. (laughs) Friends, we are not asking you to carry a piano for us, but if you like what you hear, please tell someone about us. As soon as this episode is over, go tell your spouse, your closest friend, a parent, a coworker, or share one of our posts on social media. However, if you don't like what you're hearing, please do not. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anybody. Just disregard this message. Don't worry about it. Forget about us. Yep. Go on with your merry day. For additional content and longer episodes, you can go to kevinandsteph.com or wherever you'd like to listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. So when I was talking to your assistant, this was maybe two weeks ago, I'd asked her, listen, is there a story that we should ask Bob about? And she immediately said, ask Bob about Arnold Palmer. I was like, okay, we will make a note here to ask Bob about the story about Arnold Palmer. So I have had some epic moments because my dad and I like were part of Arnie's army, right? We were stalkers of Arnold Palmer that was beyond. And so I have like three epic stories that are so good. And normally I would tell you the two outside ones, but I want to tell an inside one, which would tell you a lot about Arnold Palmer. So we're playing golf with Arnold Palmer. It is a two best balls, okay, tournament where you have to have two out of the four people. We got to count those scores, whatever they are with their strokes. We're coming up to number 16 hole and we are tied. I have hooked the ball left out of bounds. <laughs> Arnie is very much looking at me like, what? And, and my <laughs> other guy is really good as he's hit the ball poorly. Arnold Palmer crushed it down the middle and then has hit a shot, his second shot, like three feet from the pin. Oh, wow. Okay. So Arnie's just like killing it today. And so my dad hits this weaselly, you know, mediocre drive and he skittles and through the middle and da 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 and he's in. Then he hits another one that kind of bummed about and he's so he's like 80 yards from the green. And so Arnold Palmer goes up and marks his ball, comes back to my dad, and we're standing there and he looks at him, he goes, Frank, listen, I need you. And he says, all you have to do is get the ball on the green and two putt, which would give us a five, but you get a stroke, which would give us a four. I'm going to make the birdie and we're in the lead. Come on. Okay. So he starts to walk off. My dad looks over to me and goes, Oh no, he needs me. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure, Frank. The King needs me. What am I going to do? And I, my dad's about to hyperventilate. (laughs) And so I look at him, I go, relax, breathe, breathe. I said, all we're going to do. And I grab a seven iron for him. I said, it's downhill. I'm just going to, we're just going to do a little kind of chipping the ball. I said, you're going to cock your wrist. You're just going to pop the ball and it's going to roll down on the green. So my dad doesn't even like stop a second to think about it. He all of a sudden gets it and it goes, boink, but a bunk at a bunk at a bunk. And all of a sudden it's going down the green and it starts to slow up to the green. I go, it's going to go on the green. This is unbelievable. And then it gets on the green. And then all of a sudden it's fast green. Oh no. Oh. And all of a sudden it starts going faster, faster, faster. And all of a sudden looks like all of a sudden it hits the back of the pin and goes in. <gasps> He's got a birdie now. He's got a birdie for an eagle. Arnold Palmer is leaping and jumping and running towards my dad. He jumps up in his arms with his legs wrapped around him, uh, uh, full around my dad. He comes back down, puts his hand square in my dad's face and goes, Frank, you really showed me something. And then arms around each other, walk to the green while Arnie then makes the putt. And now we're up by three. And my dad looks at me and waves to me and come over and he goes, I can die a happy man now. Oh, 
that is incredible. That's awesome. Bob, let me brag on you for a minute. So with all of our guests, we always give a list of fun facts. And yours are amazing. And I have not showed Steph any of these because I wanted you to see her genuine, authentic reaction when she hears some of the things you have done. So Steph, Bob here graduated from SMU down in Dallas Mm -hmm. and played golf. So obviously a big golf fan. Bob helped pioneer the executive search in professional sports when he was selected to lead the search for the commissioner of Major League Baseball back in 1992. So did you create this whole quote-unquote matchmaking for sports? Was this your idea? So my dad talked me into coming into the business at a young age. I was doing searches for 10 years, doing presidents of insurance companies and manufacturing companies and everything. And then I finally looked at my dad and, and said... I should do what I love and what I'm really great at. And he goes, I don't know. So what are you talking about? And I said, when I do a search for like a president of a manufacturing company, at the end of the search, I get a tour of the plant. If I did the head of marketing for the NBA, we get all-star weekend. <laughs> Brilliant. And lights went on in my daddy. And he goes, hey, you should do that. He says, you can't give up what you got until you can get that. And so one of the guys that was on my dad's board Bill Bartholomew, one of the greats, was a big insurance guy. And I had done like 20 assignments for him. And he happened to also had early in his life moved the Milwaukee Braves. They became the Atlanta Braves. And he was the largest outside stockholder for Ted Turner. And then just by surprise, I mean, my dad's like saying to Bill, gee, Bob told me today at lunch that he wants to do sports and this is his his dream. And I, I thought I'd just review that with you, Bill. And then he, Bill asked me to leave the room for a second. And then he talked to him. And when I come back in, he goes, Bill says to me, hey, well, we got something for maybe you to start in sports. And it it was the commissioner of baseball. So that was my opening search. What? Come on. Steph. What? Come on. Not, and not and only that. Get out of here. Oh, my gosh. Steph. He was interviewing Colin Powell in that search, George W. Bush in that search. What? Yes. What? Okay, yes. we need to talk about this. <laughs> Do you have a good George W. story? Oh, yeah. You'll love this. So I got a friend of mine uh, named Ray Huffines, and he has a Chevrolet dealership. But his brother was putting on an event for Ronald Reagan and George Bush Sr. And, of course, we can't get them to come to our event, but we're going to get Maureen Reagan, and we're going to have George W. Bush. And he says, I'm going to pick up Maureen Reagan. And he says, you're going to pick up George W. And so I'm thinking when George W. comes in, he's going to have like an entourage or he's going to have some secret service or something. And he's just got his blue jeans, his backpack, and he's got just a sport coat or something, whatever he's going to do for us in this event. And so I'm hosting him this time. And so we sit and kind of become friends. And then all of a sudden, he wants to like talk a little bit about What's it like working for your dad? I'm thinking about maybe working for my dad's campaign. So we start talking about that. And then he becomes the managing partner of the Texas Ranger baseball team. And he hears that I'm doing the search for the commissioner of baseball. And so he calls me and says, Bobby boy, that's what he calls me. You know, Bobby boy, you got to come in and and you got to tell me about this. He says, and in the room while we're talking, is this guy sitting over in the corner, Carl Rove, which is fascinating to me. He was like no one at the time, right? And he was just sitting in the corner and he says, so listen, you and I are going to talk about it. He says, I should be the next commissioner of baseball. I want to be the commissioner of baseball, but you're going to have to find out if I could win that job. He says, otherwise I'm going to run for governor. 
And so I thought it's really funny that we never know our destiny in life, right? We're thinking all the times that, hey, we should do this. And then you don't get that. And then you get this kind of booby prize here that you're going to all of a sudden get this job and you're going to be the governor and then ended up being the president of the United States. (laughs) It's just, it just shows like one little yes or one little no can transpire your entire life in a completely different way. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible. So Bob then moved on to help shape the leadership teams of NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL, NHL franchises, and their league offices, in addition to university athletic departments and conferences across the United States. So is it true, Bob, you have placed at least a third of the athletic directors at the major universities here? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to imagine. I've worked for now 100 universities, oh, and, wow. and I think I've placed 50-some of the 100, you know, Division One athletics, so maybe it's a half. And what I really love about the business I'm in is that I can put in one person that can change the entire culture for not only the team, the school, but for all the parents and all the students and all the people around it. And so it's, it's such a big deal that all of a sudden you get a chance to do something. And of course, I, I think that's why, you know, God kind of got me into this business. It's, a, it's an honor. And at the same time, you want to make sure you do it really with all your best. Right. Like with integrity. Yes. Right. So how secretive, Bob, do you have to be, right? So are you getting hotel rooms and meeting privately? You've got like code words or you have a fake mustache. You're walking around like... Do you have a briefcase with names that's chain linked to your... Like handcuffed to your wrist? Like how secretive are we, Bob? Yeah, that's such a good question. I find this oh so interesting. So we are so secretive, it's hard to believe. But the reason people say that I'm the most influential man in sports you've never heard of, because you've never heard of me. You never know my name. I'd never go to a news conference. So like if I play somebody big, it would really be an advantage that I'm trying to get there and sit next to my person and have my arm around them. I've never done that my whole life. I've never been there. No one ever knows who I am. I'm not trying to be in any meeting. I don't try to do that. All right, Steph, I've got a question for you. What's your favorite book of all time? Uh, obviously, you met her where? Oh, I thought you were going to say the Bible. Oh, oops. <laughs> oh. What's your second favorite book of all time? You met her where? <laughs> a distant second. Totally distant. It's a pretty good book. Sorry, God. It's still a pretty, pretty good was. book. But we're so excited. Where can people get our book, honey? Okay, I know this. Uh, Amazon.com. Yes. Barnes & Noble. Yes, and? And our website, KevinAndSteph.com. And, and what happens if they buy it off our website? <gasps> what do they get? Uh, an autograph from us. Yes. Who wouldn't want that? So, listeners, if you've already read the book, thank you so much. We've had such good feedback. One thing that helps us, if you can give us a review on Amazon.com, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much, and thank you for listening. So, back to fun facts here. So, Bob's experience also extends to the PGA Tour, the U.S. Tennis Association, PBR, which is oh, bull riding, yes. the U.S. Olympics, NASCAR, and the UFC. Holy cow! You're a busy man. Okay, I have a question. At the beginning, when you started this whole like sports part of your business, 
What was the time when somebody called you and you're looking at your wife like, oh my gosh, guess who's on the phone asking for my help? Who was that? Um, it was uh, the Reverend Jesse Jackson. What? When I was doing my search for the commissioner of baseball, all of a sudden my assistant comes in and says, the Reverend Jesse Jackson's on the phone. And I go, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> and I'm thinking that's going to be one of my friends for sure. <laughs> but as soon as I got on the phone, I knew it was. And then the Reverend was like, so Bob, I've heard a lot about you and I know you're doing the search and, and I'm probably not supposed to call you and, and ask you for this, but I have a great candidate for you that I think it's really, really great. And I said, so no, I'd be happy to call. And he goes, you would? And so I said, yeah, no, I'll call him. And so as soon as I got off the phone, I called the guy and I said to the, the person, hey, I'm going to happen to be in your town tomorrow. I'm flying up there because I was doing something in Minnesota for the Minnesota Wild hockey team. And so while I did it, I went over and met. And then this candidate was a person, you know, a top minority person who it would be very good if all of a sudden he was up for something like this. But he also had a big background and said he owned things in sports and he did some other things. I just thought he was delightful. And so all of a sudden I got back to my office and, uh, and about three days later, all of a sudden the phone's calling in. My assistant says, the Reverend Jesse Jackson's on the phone. <laughs> and I go, Reverend, how are you? Hey, wh- thanks for calling again, man. It's great. I mean, this twice. I mean, this is like a big deal. So Reverend says, Bob, do you went to see him? And I said, I did. And he goes, I can't tell you what that means to me. And he says, that's not only kind. And I said, well, I thought he was a great candidate. I said, he's really good. I, I said, I'm going to give you full attention. And so he says, did baseball say you to do that? I go, no, right, no, no, I kind of do those things. And so it's really funny as he looked at me, he goes, we have a thing. He says, you tell me sometime if you ever need a favor for me. And of course, I never needed a favor, but I'll tell you the end of the story, which is really good. I come on a plane about four years later and he's on a plane going to Chicago. I'm going to Chicago. He's in first class and I'm coming up and there's the Reverend Jackson's like in 2B right on the aisle. And then he's got three other people all around him, like big guys. And and first off, Reverend Jackson, he's a big guy. Okay. So I wonder, I'm just going to say hello. And so I said, Hey, I want to introduce him. And the other guy stands up behind him, like he's going to stop something. And I said, I, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Bob Bodine. And he sits and looks at me, hugs me. What? Just hugs me. And everything on the plane just stops, right? Hugs me. And, he, and you know, kind of got a little tear in his eye. And he just looks at me, he goes, I just want to thank you. He said, I'll never forget that moment. Moments. I, people keep missing out on moments. When people ask you to do something, you're a no because or you're a yes if. Mm. And I've always believed that mentors are the key to life. I only believe that my success is because I stood on the shoulders of great people before me. And I had great people in my mom and my dad and and my grandparents and people who I've surrounded myself with who are just so much brighter and smarter and and better than I am. And that they keep instilling in you something, right? Well, Bob, that just reminded me of a story I've heard from you. And it was the time you went and spoke at a prison. I don't know if this is the very first time, but typically they would only have 20 people that they could speak to. You end up speaking to like 1,500 prisoners. Can you share that story of what happened when you went to that prison to speak? It's phenomenal. So this is a 60-year maximum security prison. And if you're in Texas, there's no air conditioning in maximum security prisons for people who are in for life. And so they have fans, but there's no air conditioning. So it's hot. And so that kind of stuns me. Second is, is that I'm asked to talk. So 
I was kind of saying to God, like, what am I going to say? I Because this warden's wife had read two chairs and she says that they're having suicides. And the moment you arrive, you're fighting for your life with all the other prisoners. And so I come in and I'm, I'm talking to God beforehand. I say, so what am I going to talk about? And he says, when the door behind you is sealed and you hear the actual air go and behind you, I'll give you the message. And I said, I'm totally uncomfortable with that. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, I want to control it. Right. I mean, what do you think? I'm not going into a bunch of people and not know anything of what to say. I mean, they've been in for 60 years. They're in 60 years. They have, they're hopeless. Mm. And so I, I walk in and as soon as I enter in, boom, I can start to hear the message. I mean, there's times when you're in trouble and you need something. God says, I'm going to give you the words. I promise that. I'll deliver it. Do you trust me? Yes. And he said, I know you do. I just wanted you to say it because before you arrive there, you're going to have fears that are going to try to jump up on you and stop you from doing that which I called you to do. And so people don't understand that fear is the opposite of faith. And so with my faith in God, as soon as I arrive, all of a sudden the message starts to come. And so I walk into this room and there are 350 or so people and they're all in white. And what's amazing about it is where someone had bought 265,000 copies of two chairs, made up their own little version, 265,000, and they give it out to prisons, military, first responders, and social services. And so these people have the book and they're looking at me. It's so surreal. I want to, I want to pull my phone out. Of course, they don't let you have phones. They don't let you have right. a belt. Right. They make sure you're not dressed in white or you might stay there. <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I got to get my mind in order here. But I'm first surprised that there's only like six guards for this. And as soon as I started thinking that, God goes, I don't want you thinking that. Uh. I got you. And then I'm looking around and I'm feeling, well, hold a second. I don't feel like this is as evil in here as I thought. And, he, and God immediately, I can hear him, goes, oh, yeah, I've set the room. We're ready. And all of a sudden, the guy's introducing me, saying all this great stuff because they want, they know that sports is going to get them excited about the fact that I'm even here. And they never have anybody talk to them. They've never had a book. Wow. So this is the first book and they get two chairs. Come on. I mean, if I'm going to have a book, I want two chairs. So I'm in this whole thing and I come up to the podium and I stop and I take a breath and then I look at them and I say, what if you could leave prison for five minutes? Okay. And the pain and the shame and the fear would leave you. And then suddenly the peace of God that passes all understanding would rest on you. That would be a good day, wouldn't it? And you could hear them go, oh yeah. And I said, and you'd remember back a day when you weren't here and you're thinking then something went wrong and then it went really wrong. And then, oh my gosh, you know, look at me, I'm here and, and this, and, and you've got to go back after this five minutes, you're gonna have to go back even though you really haven't left, but your mind left for five minutes and you have gone to another space, you're going to have to go back. And then you hear this clearly in your ear from God that you're not forgotten, but you're loved. And then God says to me, pause. It was like a producer in my ear. And I just paused. And I looked at them and then 350 of them stood up and started to cheer and cry. And I thought, what just happened? And the thing is that they have forgotten 
that they were forgiven and not forgotten, that God would meet with them and talk a personal relationship with them. And listen, he knows where you are. It's not too hard for him. He can be with 7 billion people at the same time. He's not mad at you. He's not mad. He made you. He made no mistakes, but you clearly got to make a choice today. You're either going to go to two chairs and you're going to get a chance to see him talk to you. You get a minute to talk. He gets four and then everything changes. And so I finished my talk and then all 350 of them are in line for a book signing. <laughs> what are we doing a book signing? And so I look over at the warden and the warden gives me one of these. And so the first person comes up and he looks, I mean, he's tattooed up and he's looking at me and he goes, you're actually here. I said, yeah. And he goes, uh, I haven't seen somebody in seven years, except for these guys. Wow. He says, uh, this is a big moment. He says, can I ask you a favor? And I said, I have no idea. And he says, I want a hug. And so if you touch the warden, you're in for six months in solitary, you know, confinement. Wow. And that's not a good thing to be there. And so I look over to the warden slowly <laughs> and he gives me a shrug. And I just look at the guy. Yeah, come on. And so I think I did like 1,100 hugs what? while I'm there. So listen, I've given talks to the biggest groups and, you know, 30,000. I've given talks in the at soccer stadiums and there's nothing that could ever beat this Michael unit in East Texas. The hardest, the worst. Some of these people got in line. They're wanting me to sign in their books. They want me to draw pictures of me in the meeting. I go, I do stick figures. And he goes, yeah, I want you to stick figure us hugging. I want you to stick figure us high-fiving you. And so how is this possible? How do you explain the inexplainable? I'm an executive recruiter. What the heck? What are you talking about? I can't write a memo. I didn't even think, how would I write a book? And so you were created to do great and mighty things. Each person who's listening to this is created to do something better than anyone in the whole world. And if they don't stop and get a handle of what that is, they won't do the thing that's necessary. They won't stop for a second and talk to God. They won't just sit there. Hey, listen, he talks. He'd like to talk. I mean, when you find out that he does, this is an experience that nobody could possibly imagine. Well, Steph, I'm going to cut off the fun facts short here. But the last one, he just mentioned it. Bob is a national best-selling author, The Power of Who, and also Two Chairs, which he just kind of went through. And, and Bob, as I mentioned when you first joined the call here, I've been reading Two Chairs, and it is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I was bragging about to Steph, I think, last night. And you did touch on it just now, but can you give just the premise of the Two Chairs books? Because any relatives or listeners right now, you're probably going to get this for Christmas from this guy because it is that good of a book. But can you share with listeners just the premise of the Two Chairs book? Yeah. When I was younger, I was trying to figure out how I'd find a mate. You know, what would you do in times of trouble? I mean, there's times that things that are just above your pay grade that are above the facet that you realize there's a limit to what Bob can do. And so my initial aspect, I grew up Catholic. And so there's a lot of great Catholics who are a lot greater than me. But as long as we were done in 20 minutes and I could watch the Chicago Bears, then that would be good. And and so uh, and, and, and and the concept is that, hey, that's why we pay Father Mulcahy, you know. Um, and so so. My mom put a drew a line in the sand on that for our family. And so uh, my mom always thought that wouldn't it be logical that we should know him that and to know someone you got to you got to talk. So the premise of this book is I'm going to ask you three questions. She said, these are simple questions, but they're very disruptive. 
And so they're very disruptive for every single person because everyone is facing the same thing at all times. In this world, you're going to have trouble. If you're not in trouble, well, you will be. If it's not you, it'll be your kids. I mean, we just spent two years in what has been a huge trouble. And we have a lot of people who have lost their dreams and they have no goals and they haven't found a mate. They've gotten into this. 60% of the country's divorced. You know, 69% of the country hate their jobs. 80% of the country are not using their number one talent. So we got trouble in River City. And so, so all of this kind of goes together. And so she said, I'm going to ask you these three questions. And so this book is around three simple questions and then seven things to do in a time of crisis. Okay. So anyway, here's the three questions. The first question is, does God know your situation? Because the answer is yes. Not only does he know, but he wants you to know he knows. And of course, God doesn't have six telephone lines for 7 billion people. He's not working on pandemics only and ISIS and heart attacks and natural disasters. He knows you. He knows your telephone number. He knows where you live. He does house calls. I mean, when I've had heartache in my family and you can't breathe. Yeah. And you can't do anything about it. You have nothing. I don't get to change pandemics and other people. I get to change Bob. I get to change my outlook, my energy, my love, my time. So here's question number two. So first off, God knows your situation. Two, is it too hard for him to help you? No, but it's too hard for you. And third is, does he have a good plan for you? Yes. Yeah, what is it? That's right. You don't know. Do you own chairs? That's why I say. Kids come up to me all the time. Mr. Brody and I don't go to church. Yeah. You own chairs? Sure. I go, well, have one for him, one for you. You meet him. So if there's a 1% chance that the, that the guy who created the whole world, the creator of our universe, would meet with you tomorrow morning, would you go? Everybody says yes, which I immediately say, where have you been? Like you're less than 1% of the country does two chairs. Come on, you got to be kidding me. So God wants to know you. He knows everything about you. You should know everything about him. And so when people then all of a sudden have crisis, so now I get you into seven things to do in a crisis. And when people are in it, I'm telling you, we're all going to be in it. We're in it right now. Most people yeah. are. It's life-changing. So, so when people say to me, Oh my gosh, are you saying you're talking about talking to God? Well, every single day you hear the enemy talk to you. So if you hear one thing from God, all of a sudden you got schizophrenia. I mean, this is the craziest thing in the world. And so my whole point is the one thing that young people are looking for is an experience of their own with God. You know what that is? Two chairs. It's a mind blower. So I get pictures and letters from people every day telling me about their first experience at two chairs. And it's so, so overwhelming. I got goosebumps just telling you. I love that. So chair for you, chair for God, talk to God, shut up and listen. Mm. You talk one minute, let God talk to you for the next four minutes. And like I said, Steph, it is incredible. Well, listeners, for more information about Bob, you can go to bobbodine.com and we will have this in our show notes. Also, Facebook, bobbodine.who or his Instagram account at the Bob Bodine. And I would highly recommend, highly recommend his two books, Two Chairs and The Power of Who. They are incredible. And Steph, like I told you earlier, I want to be like him when I grow up. Yes. Amazing. So, Bob, thank you so much Thanks, for your time. Bob. Thank you, sir. I'm telling you, your family, when I see the, you together, it just looks so anointed, so loving, so kind. And so I had heard so many things from Dennis about how fantastic it was to do something with you. And so I'm so honored to have a chance to be with you and your audience. And I just put blessings on everybody who hears this, that they get to actually do what we've been talking about. And when they do, I'm telling you, it's going to be a great day. 
Friends, we want to encourage you to please follow us wherever you listen to this, whether it's on the Apple Podcast app, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or one of the other platforms. It's completely free, you guys. This helps us out big time with the folks who track this stuff. If you haven't already, we want to encourage you to please rate or even write us a review on Apple Podcast. We need as many as we possibly can, even if it's just one sentence. Thank you for listening, you guys, and sharing us with your friends. 